You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org.
Amen. Well, uh, let me share with you here from Psalm 95. It says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hands, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, and he made it. He is, his hands filled the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. So I pray that in the middle of things being different, just in how you come into the building and where you're sitting and how some of us look, I pray that that won't be our focus. That we don't leave here today just saying, oh, it was so good to see so-and-so, but that we leave here today saying that it was good to see God, that it was good to worship Him together and give Him glory.
you, God. I thank you and praise you that your presence is already here with us today. Help us to recognize it. Father, I pray that you will turn our focus and our attention to you and you only. That we leave here today saying what an amazing God you are. Father, teach us from your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. It is, it is good to see most of your faces. Or, or maybe it's just most of your face. Some, something like that. Um, it's good to, good to be in the building this morning, and uh, I know it's a, a little bit different. Um, Isaiah and Wayne have, have already alluded to that. Um, I want to tell you that when, when you begin a preaching series or, or go through a series and you go through passages, and, um, you don't really know what's ahead of you when you start that. And so um, this morning there is a piece of this, um, and I had to uh, talk first service about it, I'll talk here, there's a piece of this this morning that has to do with anxiousness, and I just want to tell you that, um, that I'm not doing very well at listening to my own sermons, um, because I've, I've been fairly anxious all morning about stuff. Um, it's just been, it's been a little crazy, um, and, and I don't know whether you realize all that, but it, you know, over the last six weeks, we've learned a few things, and we're still working through the technical part of some of what we do, and, you know, anytime you're in a church, you, you're already dealing with technical stuff, even on a normal week, and uh, this, was, this was just one of those mornings that, that things were kind of a little on the chaotic side. So I'm, I'm having to deal with part of this scripture as we actually do service this morning because um, just because of what it says and, um, and what I have to deal with. Now, I, w- I want you to know that in dealing with this, this sermon series, we're talking about some really important things. I mean, the sermon series is called Porch Conversations. And it, it's the idea that when you sit on the porch, you know, you're at home, you sit on the porch as a family, you discuss certain things. Some of those are very lighthearted. When I was growing up, we'd sit on the porch. It was pretty, um, most of the time, it was pretty easy going. We'd pick on each other a lot. And if you knew my family, you know, we, I wasn't necessarily in a Christian home growing up. However, um, we would sit on the porch and, and we'd have these conversations, and some of them were, um, were pretty hilarious. Um, uh, we, we pick on my mom mercilessly um, most of the time. Now, my mom was just, you'd have to know her to understand that um, because she was very um, gracious and, and grace-filled in that. But we would pick on her, and, and we would get to picking on each other, too, the same way. But there were times when the conversation got serious, and we'd have to have talks about certain things in our family life and in the life of just what was going on in society or whatever it happened to be. Um, you've, you've heard this said, um, I just want to share my heart with you. You heard that, that phrase? And so it, it would be the, I just want to tell you what's on my heart or hear my heart. And uh, we were with a guy the other day that said, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. And it, it all has to do with, please hear what is being said. And, and this conversation that Jesus has in Matthew 5 through 7 is, is that kind of thing. He's like, I want to share my heart with you. And so Jesus has a large crowd. The disciples are real close to him. He sits down, begins to teach, and it, it's as if that he just, he just came and said, hey, um, guys, I just want to share my heart with you. And you could see Jesus leaning into that and, and just wanting them to hear exactly what he's saying, but more than just what he's saying, to actually hear the heart that's behind what he's saying. Because the things in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, some of the things that he's going to say are really hard. They're tough to swallow. And so when we go through this, we have to understand that Jesus is exposing the heart of God. He's exposing the heart of God to us. Um, 
So when we understand that Jesus is exposing the heart of God or the heart of the Father, then, then sometimes that's a little easier to take knowing who God is. And we're going to continue in this theme of heart of a father all the way through Father's Day, obviously. And um, I want to encourage you guys, I mean, we'll just step over here for a short commercial break. You guys, um, if you go on to Version at the very end of today's future, what he sees. Uh, I looked up, there's a quote that I wanted to share with you, um, because we've been asking the question, what's next? And so you go through coronavirus, and and we've been asking, what's next? And and then you look at Governor Governor Cooper, or any governor really, um, telling us what that particular state's going to do, and you have to ask, what's next? And then we, we're watching the news over the last couple of days, and you go, okay, what's next? And so we're always asking that question. And here's a quote that I, I thought was pretty interesting. This is Walt Disney. And I always quote <coughs> Walt Disney, but here's what he said. Around here, however, we don't look backwards for very long. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. You say, well, curiosity. And that drives the, the Disney company and, and that. But does it drive us? Are we curious about what's next? Well, sure, we ask the question, what, what is coming? And so let me ask this question. If, what if you or I completely surrendered our lives, every compartment of our lives to God. What would that look like? Because, you know, it, it ought to bring up some curiosity. Because I, I'm convinced, and, and I can say this for the congregation as a whole, and I can include those that were here early service and those that are not here, or those that are joining us online, however you want to put it. But I would venture to say that across the board, not all are living completely surrendered to Christ. You say, were you sure? Um, I'm pretty sure. There, there are indicators that would indicate that not everybody is completely surrendered to Christ. Uh, a, a very easy way to figure that out is to, to look at budget and budget need and congregation without getting into specifics if everybody tithed then there wouldn't be a budget issue, okay? That would be an evaluation piece. Or if we said, we don't have a need for more volunteers because we've got volunteers that are just waiting, sitting at the door edge, ready to walk through that door saying, hey, I'm open, I will do, and I've been called to this. And they would all fit right into those spots. But we don't really have that. And so, and I put those things, and there are other indicators that you would say, if everybody was living a completely surrendered life, there would not be need within the church. In fact, we would just take those volunteers and, and the money and all those different pieces of that, and we'd just be able to run at full steam without having to, to worry about those issues. And so, it's, it's easy for me up here, and I can even look at my own life and ask myself the question, am I completely surrendered every part, every compartment of my life to God? You see, you and I already know where we've been. We know what our past looks like, right? You know what your past looks like, and we don't need to hash out the past, Well, but we know what our past looks like. The thing that we don't know is we don't know what tomorrow looks like or the next day, or the week, or the month. What we, what we think we know is that we know that when we die, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior and He lives inside of us and we receive God's forgiveness, we know that when we die, that we're going to go into the presence of God and we'll get to experience heaven. The thing that we don't know about that is we don't know exactly what it looks like. Pastor Isaiah this week was looking for a picture of heaven. And he couldn't find it, not even from the people who spent 10 minutes there and came back. 
Nobody. There's not a picture out there. And so as much as we'd like to know what that looks like, we don't exactly know what that looks like. But we don't, we don't really know what, what things look like between now and even that time. The question in, in all of this is, if I'm completely surrendered to God, and God is who God says he is, and he is the heavenly father that we read about in scripture, then my time from now through all of eternity ought to be in his hands. And he's completely trustworthy in that. Now we, we, we think about um, what is important to us. So let me ask this, what is more important to you, where you have been or where you are going? I would think the, the answer to that for most of us would be, I'm more concerned or thinking about where I'm going than where I've been, because I already know that, good or bad, but I don't know exactly what the future looks like. And we've learned to treasure things. There's some knowns and some unknowns, and values change when crisis occurs. Values change when crisis occurs. Um, COVID-19 has taught us some things. Um, they've taught us things about what is valued or valuable. And so what do we treasure more now than we did three months ago? Well, I, I mean, the list is, I can come up with a list. Hand sanitizer. It's important stuff, right? And, and the reason I know that's, that, that's important and it's really easy to see how that is valued is Deb and I went to a store the other night and I picked up two bottles of hand sanitizer and laid them on the counter, and the lady behind the counter said, you can only have one. It's hand sanitizer. And I'm thinking, I've got enough money in the checkbook. There's no other issue. What's the deal? Finally, after the crowd left the, the, the counter, the, the rest of the people that were there, she goes, you can go ahead and pick up a second one. But she didn't want to tell me that in front of everybody else. And she wouldn't even ring it up on the same receipt. She separated it. She said, they're watching. I'm like, who's watching? You know? <laughs> do, I, do I need to pay attention to who's watching? And, but, but it was that value thing, okay? The other thing, uh, you know, paper towels, um, toilet paper. Now, I want to tell you, that, that's just a weird one to me. Um, I realize, I guess, anytime there's food available, then the other side of that equation is a necessity, right? And so, um, so we, we've learned to value that, and you can tell the value of it when you go to the store, and there's none of it on the shelf. And we, we look at that and we go, people are valuing that over a lot of other things. And we've learned to value that. We've, we value friends and we value interaction. I mean, just being able to have us in the building today, even though it's not like one whole big group here. It's a value to see folks face to face. I know some have, have gone by homes and, and different things like that, but generally we've been kind of scattered. And we've been the church scattered for, for the last couple months. But we value that interaction and we value our health. I say healthy health is really important. And so that's that's part of what we've learned. And in this particular passage, the recipients of Matthew's record of Jesus' life were faced with a crisis of belief. They were trying to figure out what is of value. And so Jesus sits and shares with them because they had grown up with understanding the law of Moses. And what they did is they, they looked at that, looked at the religious leaders, and they said, we think we know how we're supposed to live life. And so they looked at that, they had anchored themselves in certain doctrine and certain beliefs. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he sits down and he says, I need to have a porch conversation with you now. And let me share what the Father's heart is. You've heard it said, and he would start phrases like that. You've heard it said, and then he would go on to say, but I tell you. And so all the things that they had learned and studied and, and kind of, anchored their lives in, Jesus was turning on end as he was sharing from the Father's heart. And it was creating a tension in the room because they didn't necessarily disagree with what Jesus would say, 
but, but they weren't sure they completely agreed with it because it was disagreeing with what they had always heard and always had been taught. And so Jesus turns their, their world on end and he brings this shock, it is kind of a jolt to, to their whole belief system. And so we get to, to Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus had already taught them about prayer. Starting in verse um, around verse 9, you, hear, you see the disciples had asked Jesus about prayer. He teaches them, our Father who art in heaven. He goes through that, talks about forgiveness and debt and provision and, and God's will in that. And, uh, and God, Jesus points them to that. And then going a little bit further, he teaches them about fasting. He says, you really need to understand the heart of God, so fasting may be part of that. You're used to seeing fasting this way, but I'm telling you, fast so that nobody actually knows you're fasting, but you need to be focused on hearing from God. And so find out what the Father's heart is by separating yourselves from other things. And then we get into this teaching starting at verse 19. And so uh, I want to read, starting at verse 19, we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter, and you're going to say, wow, that's a ton, and there's some different things in here, but they're really all connected. Because they're all tied to the Father's heart, but they're intrinsically, intrinsically, uh, I'll, get that, I'll get the word out later, um, they're all tied. You'll see it. All right, verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we, got, we have that. And then he moves. It's like a, a shift a little bit here. It says the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And then we have a, so in the very first part, verse 21 was a, a summary verse for that section. In verse 24, we're, we're going to see the summary verse for the lamp and light and eyesight. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or God and mammon. We're going to shift a little bit again. Verse 25, Therefore, because of those things, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those without a relationship to God, in, in this case, that's how he qualifies it. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, your word, your conversation with us this morning challenges us on several different levels to understand the heart of God. And so, Father, as we continue to walk through this passage, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts so that our heart and your heart can be connected. You would open our minds that we may soak in the things that you want us to soak in. And Father, in all of this, God, we pray that your voice would be heard. 
Father, out of that, you would be glorified in us. So God, we, we love you. We want you to, to be heard this morning. So Father, I pray that you would work that out. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in this, we see the heart of the Father being laid out for us. Just kind of just opened up. And so in verses 19 through 21, we see the first thing. It's the treasure principle. Verse 19 through 21, the treasure principle. And in this section, what Jesus does is he's going to create a comparison, a comparison of treasures. Um, treasures in the, in the Greek is something that would be valuable. We would say certainly it's valuable, and it would be something of great value. And what he's talking about is something that is stashed away or put in a safe place. The, the Greek here actually references a casket or a box that would be a safe place to keep it so that it could not be destroyed or taken. It would remain in its right value. And what Jesus says here at the beginning, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Understand that treasures on earth are susceptible. They're susceptible to a couple things. Their first one is, is moth and rust. Uh, moth and rust destroy. It's, it's the idea of being eaten away or corroding. And so both of those things could happen. When, when I lived up north, um, during the winter, they would salt the roads, and, and that would get all over the place. And, and what would happen is my dad, we'd, we'd go out, we'd come back home, and the first thing my dad would do is he would get a, a bucket of water and a rag, and he would go right behind the wheel wells especially, but on the side and underneath the car, and he would try and get off all the salt that he could. Because if you looked around at the cars in that area, what you would find over, over a period of time is you'd see these big holes, these rusted out holes, right behind all the wheel wells. And it was the corrosion that was taking place because of the salt. The, that metal was just being eaten away. And so moth and rust destroy. It's a slow process, almost unnoticeable until the damage is done. And it results in loss of value. And so the, it's a natural change in the value of the treasure. So Jesus is saying moth and rust could destroy this, and so earthly treasure is susceptible to something that is natural. But, but earthly treasures are also susceptible to things that are not natural. It's unnatural change. Items are missing. It says thieves break in and steal. It's the result of something that you didn't plan for. So if you have a treasure and you put it to the side, it's an earthly treasure, it is susceptible to somebody else taking it away when you didn't plan for it to be taken away. We, saw, we see evidence and have seen evidence of that over the last couple nights in different cities, whether it's Minneapolis or Atlanta or Raleigh. We've seen that over the last couple nights where thieves break in and take something that is not theirs. They didn't earn it but they take it, and they're nothing but thieves. And we'll, we'll go back into that in a minute, but that's thievery. And, and I was looking at a, a thing where a, a guy who had put all his treasure in that, and it was taken away by somebody that just came along and took it. And we say, well, that's not fair. Well, well I understand that it may not be fair. But the, the question is, was it an earthly treasure or a heavenly treasure? Because earthly treasures are susceptible. They're exposed. And when we put all our eggs in that basket, there's, a likely, there's the likelihood that we're going to be disappointed. Jesus says, he says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What he's saying is, it's just the opposite of the other. There's no natural loss, and there's no depreciation. There's no breach in security, because God has secured it for us. And it will last. And Jesus wraps it up, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your investment in the eternal will far outlast what you can produce or save on earth. 
we have placed great value in, or if you will, we have treasured, we've treasured things like cars, homes, boats, athletics, position, power, and comfort, yet forgot to value the importance of faith passed on from generation to generation. Our call is to love God with all that we are. And when we grip something that's other than God, we are tethered to earthly treasures more than we are linked to God, and it will hurt us. Attaching to earthly treasures messes with our grip on God. But it also blurs the vision of what is spiritually profitable. Look at verse 22 through 24. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the second point this morning is spiritual eyesight. As much as our attachment to earthly treasures will affect how we see spiritual things, our spiritual eyesight will change the way we view heavenly treasures. It's, the, it's looking at something from a different point of view. We've been told over, over the last two months about different ways to view the coronavirus, have we not? I'm just going to list a couple of them. Um, it's a conspiracy. It's the judgment of God. It's social cleansing. It's an attack on the church. It's a political stunt. Uh, we've heard all those different things, and you could, you could add to the list. But, but that's not all. There are some good things that have come out of this virus. And you're going, what do you mean there's been, been good things? Well, I, I, I want to be sensitive to those that have either had it or known somebody that had it or somebody that died. I'm not taking away from any of that. I'm just saying that having this virus has caused us to reevaluate a few things. I mean, for, for instance, where is discipleship supposed to take place? According to Scripture. In the home. It's Deuteronomy 6, right? So discipleship is supposed to take place in the home. And so if you cannot meet in church and send children and teenagers to a building, where does discipleship end up being? At home. Is that not a positive? That's where discipleship is supposed to be. And we've replaced that with sending, descending to church and saying it's, it's somebody else's job to take care of it. Discipleship takes place in the home. You may say, but my home. Then take a look as a parent and say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a parent in the home? If if you have a problem with children learning discipleship from you as a parent, the problem is not necessarily with the child. The problem would be with the parent who's not in a place where they can disciple their child. And so we'd have to put things in your hand to help disciple. So discipleship in the home would be one of the good things that, that may have come out of this. Another thing that, that may have come out of it is just the, the technology that's been forced by this. You know, we weren't putting anything online before this, all this mess hit. In fact, we scrambled and... Um, and there's a few of you that have been privy to some of this stuff, but up until the last two weeks, every single week was done differently. You may not have realized that, but it was. I mean, we had, uh, well, I won't go into it. It just causes more gray hair. Um, but it was, it was nuts, and, and technology has, has changed, and it's still driving us crazy, but it's forcing us to look at that and saying, are there other ways to to share a worship service? Are there other ways to do Bible study? And, and for the sake of the whole, it is also put the gospel in places where it didn't go before. You see, during this coronavirus, there are a ton more televangelists than there ever were before. Now, not all of them seeking Lear jets and sending out prayer cloths and stuff like that, but there's a ton more on the internet and being broadcast so that the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ gets shared. 
And so that's a, that's a positive. And we could, we could, you could probably make a, a longer list that's caused us to evaluate programs. And it's the comparison of eyesight. Jesus does this comparison of eyesight, healthy versus unhealthy. It's not literal, but it's another vivid picture of what God is doing spiritually in our lives. And so we, we understand that eyesight, or the eye, is a revealer. In, in Matthew 5 it says, um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for, for they shall, what? See God. In Isaiah 6, 8 through 10, um, God is sharing with Isaiah. It's right after that, here am I, send me passage. He's sharing with them about the, the inability of the people to see spiritually what is happening in the nation. And so eyesight becomes important there. Elijah and Elisha in 2 Kings 2.10. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And then in Ephesians 1.18, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. See, spiritual eyesight is important. We say Physical eyesight is important, but spiritual eyesight is more important. And faith is an exercise in spiritual sight. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says that we walk by faith, not by sight. We, there is a trusting that takes place. And then Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet. We allow God's word to soak in and, and give us clarity for what's ahead of us. The word darkness in this passage is the Greek word skothos, and it means obscurity or ignorance of divine things. And when our spiritual sight is obscured or messed up and we can't see the way we're supposed to spiritually, we will never see things in an earthly realm the way God sees them. There's a tension inside of us to, to please ourselves and God. The spiritual sight helps us to see with clarity the truth of God's word. Look what it says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or God and mammon. We are called to live by God's word, by God's grace. And so listen to this. You cannot have a vested interest in two worlds that have opposing values. In, in, in other words, I can't have my foot over here and be stable over here and expect that I can keep my foot over here and be stable over here. I can't be in both those worlds. And when those worlds have opposing values, I am torn. says that we will hate or despise versus love and devote and our wealth can get in the way of our relationship with God and I'm not telling you that you can't have money and you can't have things what I'm saying is you can be trapped by the the things that those pieces or those parts of life can can promise but not deliver on earthly wealth is seasonal and it's temporal God calls us to have a treasure that is built, built in heaven, have eyesight that sees through the filter or, or the lens of God's word. Now, some of us won't trust God with a tithe. We'll just kind of make this transition. Some of us won't trust God with a tithe because our heart is too attached to treasures of this world and our spiritual eyesight is being distorted by Satan. Some won't trust God with your schedules and serve because you have an agenda for success and advancement that does not line up with the desires in the heart of God. See, God wants us to invest spiritually through His eyes in that which matters for eternity. We've replaced a lot of that. We've moved away from that. Third piece for us this morning is seeking God, verses 25 through 34. 
Verse 31 asks a key question in this passage. Why are you anxious? We can be honest. We've all experienced some kind of anxiousness over the last couple months. And, um, there are times when I will walk into a store and because of what I've heard and the way I view things, I will seek to avoid anybody. Not just people I don't know and I don't know where their spit has been or whatever, whatever it is. I just avoid people completely because I've been told that if I go that place after somebody and they've talked, that that stuff is still in the air and I may breathe it and I could get a disease or I could get a virus and I could die. So you're going too far. Yeah, but it's the it's that distorted vision or distorted idea. And so I become anxious about that. And we've misplaced trust and the inability to see God creates a tension in us that drives us to survival mode. We just, we just go there because we want to salvage our own lives. Over the last 48 hours, we've seen some instances of, of devalue. Understand that what Jesus says in this passage is so relevant to today because what he says is, why do you worry about this, 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 and this? And even the Gentiles worry about this, 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 and this. But look what he says right after that. He says, your father knows that you need them. Then go seek after God, who's the provider of that. There's no reason for you to pursue this when God knows you need them and will provide that. You go seek after him with all your heart. And God places such a great value on us that he is willing to provide for us. This whole situation with, with George Floyd has been crazy. We, we look at it, and, and I want to tell you that the way that video looks, there is no excuse for that behavior on the part of that police officer or the one surrounding him. That is inexcusable murder at the same time. And I know there's more to that story regardless of whether you go, well, he broke the law going into that. There is a point at which that, the action of that police officer went too far. And it should have stopped. And somebody should have stopped it. There seem to be plenty of videos with no stopping on it. So that's one side. The other side of this equation is the rage that's brought out by a circumstance like that that says we can go and destroy anything we want within a city and it's okay because we want our voices to be heard. And I'll tell you that if, you're, if somebody does that and they're doing the thief, destroy, break, and all those kind of things, I am not listening to your voice. I'm seeing you react in a way that is not anywhere close to godly. So neither side of that that circumstance represents the heart of God at all and the value of human life. God values human life, and we've, we've put human life's value on the side and said it's not important anymore. And we did it long before this. These are just instances of where we've devalued or, or maybe lived out the devaluing of human life. Go back and look at what abortion has done. Go back and look at what pornography has done and does in the lives of people and how it devalues individuals. I mean, and there's a whole slew of things that we could throw in those categories of devaluing human life. And when it's taken to its extreme, we won't care anymore whether somebody breaks in a building or strangles somebody to death. It's all devaluing human life. And when we devalue human life, we are not in line with the heart of God. Jesus wants us to understand, don't be anxious because God cares for you and he loves you. He's going to be your provider. There's no reason to be anxious for simple things, yet alone complicated things. Jesus reminds us that God knows us and 
He is the Heavenly Father who cares. Matthew 6.33 summarizes this when Jesus says to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that you may worry about, all these things will be added to you, all these things will be given to you. So we need not have passions to accumulate or the perception that we can live with dual alliances. We can keep one foot on one side of the fence and the other foot on the other side of the fence and it'd be okay. We need to be in pursuit of God and His righteousness and allow that to drive our passions for the changes that need to take place that would be in accordance with God's Word. We can be consumed by rewards in this life. I've been in enough athletic situations with different leagues and and things like that where it's been commonplace that everybody gets a trophy. We can go a lot of different places with that. But we've become accustomed to reward for whatever. We can get consumed by the rewards of this life and it can be as simple as a trophy for a, a kid's baseball league or basketball league or something else, but it can be a diploma or a job or a larger home, a faster boat. And, but the, the fact is that, that none of these things will measure up to the legacy of faith that is connected to eternal treasure, knowing God and trusting Him. That's what we pass on from one generation to the next. If we pass on the desire to seek rewards, we will set up the next generation for seeking after that which is an earthly treasure with little spiritual eyesight and a people that devalue others. Our job, our desire, our responsibility is to seek after God with all that we have and pass that along to the generation that follows. That's the the message of Psalm 90. And so what is robbing you of your joy in Christ? Is it a treasure issue? Have you been placing all your treasures in an earthly basket? Is it a spiritual eyesight, a spiritual blindness? And and I, I would put that in that the category of compromised living. Am I trying to live in two different places at the same time? Or am I anxious for not, from not understanding the heart of the Father? I'm just worried. And it doesn't seem like God cares, and I'm taking God out of the equation. I'll worry about it for myself. See, God calls us to this standard you know jesus said i've said you've heard it said and this is what i say and and when he says all that he's trying to pull people back to the heart of god it's not that they've arrived or been completely negligent but he's pulling them back to the heart of god that says this is what is valuable this is what is important this is what god sees and this is how god values And he wants us to line up with him. He doesn't want us to be on our own page, but he wants us to line up with the heart of the Father. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Uh, when Paul writes this, I don't think Paul is saying, hey, um, I, don't, I don't think you're saved. What I think Paul is pointing out here is that there's a group of folks that are in process but need to go back and evaluate where are you in regards to your treasure, your eyesight, and your anxiousness. Where are you in seeking after the heart of God? Because look what it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. You do, not, do you not realize this about yourselves? So he points to them and says, look at where your life is. How come you don't line up with God more? 
that Jesus Christ is in you. He didn't even call them out for not being part of the family of God unless they were. And so when Paul writes this, when Jesus is sharing the heart of God, it's calling us back into alignment with the Father. And it's where we need to be. And so I want to encourage you to step back and examine and evaluate and see what God tells you about each of these areas. I'm going to pray. Pastor Wayne's going to come for, for a minute. We'll be dismissed after that. I'll be in the front for, for a while. And if you would like to talk about receiving Christ as Savior, that would be one area. If you would like to talk about it and say, hey, I have not, um, I've had this treasure issue where I value these and I just need to confess that. I need to be accountable to somebody. Or I've been anxious over something or you know, whatever it happens to be. It, maybe I've been blind and trying to live in two worlds. I need to talk to somebody about it. I'll be here in the front. There'll be others around. And maybe you want to come and just join this fellowship. So I'll be here for that as well. But we'll do that after we dismiss, because when we dismiss, all this social distancing is just part of life right now. So I'm not going to ask you to come to the front now. We'll wait till after the service. But I'm going to ask, I'm still going to ask you to respond to God in the way he leads you. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for this time we're back in a building. We get to look at your word and we get to be challenged by your word. That, and Father, I pray that you will continue to, um, to pull us to yourself. Father, you'll continue to not just reveal your heart, but, but bring us into alignment with your heart. That you would be glorified. And so, Father, how you
God bless you guys. It was great to see you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.